So last week we introduced a series of mini-series based on uh, Phil Strout's speech when he acceptance speech as the new leader of Vineyard USA, where he presented um, a three-part venue for his vision for the next 10 years. Number one was the presence, presence of the Lord, the proclamation, proclamation of the gospel, and the practical, or the practice of what the presence and the proclamation will produce in our life, right? So we practice his presence, we get filled up with the presence of Jesus Christ, and it flows out of us to proclaim the glory of God, and out of that we begin to act and do differently than we would have otherwise, true? You all know this, I'm preaching to the choir here. So we just thought we'd really like to break this down um, and set it into a series of mini-series. We're going to do a number of weeks on the presence. We don't know how many weeks that will be. Then we're going to go into the proclamation. And um, who knows, we, we may even go outside the walls as part of that. You know, maybe we'll take the church out onto the street or something, you know. I mean, wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, and then, of course, the, the praxis, the practice, the practical of uh, the expression of Christ in the community, which, uh, quite frankly, I think we do an awesome job as a, a group of believers in presenting some very practical expressions of the love of Jesus Christ to, to this community. But, you know, God can always amp us up, right? So, so we're, we're looking for that. So we're going we're gonna to focus a little uh, this week on his presence, uh, the presence as a distinctive through faith. And um, I want to go back to our opening verse from last week, uh, which is uh, simply this, if, you, if your presence will not go with me, this is Moses talking to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Okay, if you're not going, we don't want to go. You're not leaving, we're not leaving, all right? So, uh, so I want to expand the scene as we launch into this series on his presence. We're looking at Exodus chapter 33, uh, starting in verse 7. If you need a Bible, there are Bibles over there on that table there, and if you don't own it, you own it. Once you take it off the table, it's yours. Uh, happy to give that to you, okay? As now, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, 
I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, that is the Lord said to Moses, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please, show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Can, you. can you just, for a moment, try to grab a hold of that? Can you imagine if God, all his goodness, just kind of passed through this room in a moment of time? I mean, wow. I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back but my face shall not be seen. Let's pray. Well, Holy Spirit, we just say to you, welcome. Welcome in this place. We bid you, O oh God, let your glory be seen here. Let your presence be known here. Let your goodness fall on us like rain, O oh God. Cover us. Lord, under the shadow of your wing, that we might also be a people, a people called by your name, a people who pursue you and who love you. Let your glory come, O oh God. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So there is a distinctiveness a certain discernible quality in being a people like a community or a person, an individual of the presence. If you look at the dialogue between Moses and God, Moses makes a claim of distinctiveness as the reason for the Lord to be present with them. He says in verse 16, For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us? so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. It is, in fact, his presence that makes us truly unique as a people. Even in our religious systems and theological understanding, the fact is that it is not, it is not that we are Christians. It is not that you have been saved, and it's not that you've been born again. 
That is not what makes us distinct. No, if you look at church history, it is when the manifest presence of God is active within the church that the church rises above all other belief systems to transform and impact the world. Remember the accusation against the early church in the book of Acts as they were moving in the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts 17. It says, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. If you look through history, I don't know of any other belief system where revival breaks out in one small location and the whole world is changed. Look at the history of Azusa Street, the turn of the 20th century. A small group of black Pentecostals praying, and God shows up. They can't even pray in English anymore. All they can do is pray in tongues for days and days. Prophecy breaks forth. Healing breaks forth. Miracles start taking place. The newspapers get a hold of it, and the move of God encircles the whole globe. Every nation in the world was impacted by Azusa Street. We are a distinct people by his presence. And yet at the same time, the church can sit silent for centuries, making no impact at all. This accusation was the direct result of proclamation in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, the direct result of the good news of the gospel. In Acts 14.3, it says, So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. Do you see that distinction? Not of the Lord, for the Lord. See, we can talk about him. But when you're talking for him, when you're really representing him, by your presence, by you being there, someone begins to discern somewhere in their heart of hearts, this is different. God's in the house. I remember Martha came home one one afternoon. She was kind of excited and upset at the same time. She had gone out for an afternoon walk. And uh, you know where Madeira is down by by the lake? There's a big parking lot. And she was going to get on and, and sit on the hill and look out at the lake. And as she came down, she saw the, a truck and, and a car. And this guy was threatening this woman in the car. He was in the truck, and he said something like, I'm just going to blow you away. That's, the, that's it. I'm just going to kill you right here and now. And as he turned to go towards he saw Martha. He just saw her. And she was praying. And he got in his truck, and he left. Now, I don't know about you, but to me it was the presence of the Lord in Martha that saved this woman's life. You never know, you never know the changes that occur just by you being where you are at any given moment if Christ is in you. It says, and so they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, and now the Lord bears witness, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. 
the miracles, the signs and wonders were, was God affirming the words that they were speaking. So what would it look like to see the world turned upside down? What would that be like? To be speaking about Jesus and to suddenly have his presence begin to manifest in signs and wonders. See if this excites your spirit. Acts 5, 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes, multitudes, both men and women, so that even they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. How many? They were all healed. By what? Wouldn't you like to live that way? I mean, come on, you know. I mean, we all know that a shadow has no substance of its own, right? It has no virtue to accomplish anything other than to outline the presence of another. And the power of Peter's shadow to heal was in the fact that it was cast by the reflection of the light of the presence of Jesus Christ walking with Peter. I want you to take this to heart. I want you to really listen to this. No matter how you may try to hide or disguise it, you will always cast the shadow of what you are walking in. Think about that. both good and bad. You'll always reflect what you are investing your life into. If you invest yourself in the kingdom, you will reflect Jesus Christ. In Phil Stroud's most recent video blog posting, he talks about being all in, which really excited me because when we were in Israel at the, uh, the guys group last May, we were having communion at the garden tomb, the, one of the uh, supposed burial sites of Jesus. It's a, a beautiful spot. We had communion there, and the Spirit of God fell, and we six guys sitting around in a circle, blubbering all over the place, you know, just weeping and crying. We all go off wandering through the garden, praying, and I bump into Eric, and I mean, he's three feet off the ground, tears are streaming down his face, you know. And I said, man, what, what's the Lord saying to you, Eric? He said, all in, all in. I said, no, no, that's it, just all in. Okay. But it cut him to the quick, the very core of his being, to be all in. Phil made this simply profound statement as regards the pursuit of God. He said this, if this is worth anything, 
it's worth everything. If this is worth anything, it's worth everything. I believe that is true, and I believe that it is through the practice of his presence that we come to know God and to learn how to surrender enough to be known by him. I can think of three basic motivators which compel us to pursue his presence in an all-in, this-is-worth-everything fashion. They are faith, calling, and desire. So there's another mini, mini, mini series. Today we're going to talk about faith. Paul discussed faith with the Galatian church in Galatians 3, verse 1. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed or proclaimed as crucified. So let me ask you one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith... Now listen to this. I don't know if you've ever caught this before in reading Galatians, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. God preached the gospel to Abraham. Abraham existed around 2400 B.C., 2400 years before Christ. God was already preaching and proclaiming Christ crucified. And Abraham believed it. In you shall all the nations be blessed, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Abraham, the father of our faith, a man of, man of faith, he believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. And most theologians would apply this to the whole experience of Abraham believing God for a son through his wife Sarah. And I think it's an appropriate application. But I would think that at 75 years old, it would be kind of fun to be enabled by God to have another 25 years of intimacy with your wife, you know. (laughs) So, um, well, what about Abraham's first encounter with God. What was that like? A full-grown adult pagan male. Did you catch that? An adult pagan male living in Ur of the Chaldees, what is today part of Iraq. And I've been to Ur of the Chaldees. I've gone through the archaeological ruins there and spent some time there. And um, one of the 
outstanding features of the city are the temples there. They're uh, called ziggurats. They're pyramidal shaped, except they're not smooth and they don't come to a point. They're steps, hundreds and hundreds of steps up to a flat platform. And on the top of the platform would be a little holy of holies to the god that was worshipped on the top of this ziggurat. And so if you worship that god, that's where you'd bring your offerings. That's where you'd go to celebrate. That's where your feast would take place. And so here's Abram as a pagan man. You know, throughout the year, he'd take his sacrifice and he'd climb up all those steps and he'd bow before his idol and he'd make his sacrifice and then he'd go down those steps again. And, you know, the best he could hope for was that was sufficient enough to secure good crops and an abundance amongst his flocks. Then one day, we don't know where Abram was or what he was doing, but suddenly God said to Abram, suddenly God said to Abram, God spoke to Abram, but more than that, God spoke Abram's name. God was manifest in his presence, and his presence was personal in its manifestation. God knows you by name. Think about that. God knows you by name. Abram believed God because for the first time in his pagan life, he experienced a living, personal, and present God. Abram left his pagan gods, his country, his kin, to pursue God's presence. He was all in and became Abraham, the father of faith, the friend of God, and he meets God face to face. Can you imagine being a pagan, bowing down in front of a statue? And uh, some of the statues that they had in those days were nothing more than a large, smooth-faced stone. So that in your mind, you could project anything you wanted to represent what you worshipped as God. Every man did that which was right in his own heart. What a sad story. And here, Abram hears from God, a God. He doesn't even know who this God is. And God says to him, Abram, leave this country, leave your family, pack it up and go to the place that I'll show you when you get there. <laughs> Not quite the invitation you'd expect, huh? But Abraham, Abram, experienced God's voice and his presence, and nothing else mattered. And he pursued the presence of God. I don't think God changes his mode of operation uh, all too often. If you look at the gospel accounts of Jesus, you know, walking around by the Sea of Galilee, and there's 
Peter and John and James, you know, they're casting out their nets and doing what they were doing. And all of a sudden, Jesus said, hey, drop that. Come on, follow me. Where are we going? Well, come and see. Right? Come and see. And they did. And they did. And so didn't you. So didn't you. Genesis 18. Jehovah appeared unto him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood over against him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the front, from the tent door, and bowed himself to the earth and said, My Lord. He recognized the presence. If now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let now a little water be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will fetch a morsel of bread, and strengthen you your heart. After that you shall pass on, for as much as you are come to your servant. And they said, Do so as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah, and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran unto the herd and fetched a calf tender and good and gave it unto the servant, and he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. And they said to him, Where is Sarah, thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee when the season cometh around. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. And Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And Jehovah said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child who am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you, when the season cometh round, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but you did laugh. And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have known him. Shall I hide anything from this man that I know? The Hebrew word used here for known is the word yada. In the Strong's Concordance, it's in the Hebrew, it's number 3045. It is the same word used in Genesis 4.1 where Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. It is a knowing that is intimate and personal and life-producing. And that is how God knew Abraham. So that after, the, after close to 100 years of living, 
Abraham could supernaturally impregnate Sarah and she could supernaturally conceive because when you know God, when you are intimate with his presence, all things are possible. Are there any impossibilities in your life today? I'd like you to just take a moment and inside your own head, write a few down on a piece of paper. A couple of impossibilities that you have, just inside your mind. Keep them there. We're going to come back to them in a minute. Remember, God was so moved by Abraham's faith that he befriended him. God is moved by faith that moves us towards his purposes. God draws near to faith. God wants you to draw near to him today so that he can draw near to you and show you the power of his love. Some of you are familiar with the story of Jairus in Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 41. It says, And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, And watch what he does. He does the same thing that Abraham did. And falling at Jesus' feet says something to me. He recognized the power of Jesus' presence. He was a man of faith. And he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Feel the desperation there? Hmm? You mothers, you fathers, your little one, your 12-year-old, your teenager, your 20-something, your 30-something, your 50s, it really doesn't matter the age, does it? Something's going on. You know, whether they're physically dying, whether there's something going on in their life, you know they're, they're perishing emotionally or spiritually or somehow you know, they are at the end of yourself, and you find yourself at the feet of Jesus. Because where else can you go with that kind of pain? Jesus begins to go with him, and on the way he gets caught up in some healing. And some messengers come from Jairus' house saying, too late. Too little, too late. Your daughter is dead. How final that sounds, doesn't it? I mean, talk about a roadblock. Talk about an impossibility. I mean, can you just feel your heart and your feet and say, what do I do? Where do I go? What could possibly turn this around? Listen to Jesus. Verse 50. But Jesus, on hearing this, your daughter is dead, answered him, do not fear, only believe. Simply believe. But Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. How do you get enough faith to believe for that. 
only believe. Jairus was in the presence of Jesus. And so he could be all in in his belief. Next week we'll be looking at calling and desire as our compulsion to pursue the presence. But before we end today, I, I want you to listen to the response of the Apostle Paul as recorded in the Message Bible. Have any of you read, have read the Message Bible? It's really usually pretty unique. And then we're going to pray. In Ephesians 3, Paul says, My response, my response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you by his Spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. Now, you, can, you might be thinking, you know, I've done that. Been there, done that, prayed the prayer, you know, opened the door, I heard him knock, I opened the door, invited him in, I'm saved. So, but, you know, I think we're a little more complex than that. I think if you really look inside, if you're really honest with yourself, if you're standing in impossibilities, you know what? You haven't let them all the way in. You've got some locked and closed doors in your life that he wants to access. And Paul's prayer was that you'd open every door. Because all good gifts, all good gifts, all good gifts come down from the Father of light. Every impossibility can be met as we give him access to the deeper places, the deep, deeper pains, the hidden things of our life. And it's Paul's prayer. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly in love, you'll be able to take in with all Christians the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breath. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to its height. Live full lives full of, in the fullness of God. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. Glory to God in the church, Glory to God in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Glory down all the generations. Glory through all millennia. Oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. Glory to God. Stand with me and let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place today. Lord, some of us have written our impossibilities, little slips of paper in our mind, the things that have snared us, have kept us, have gotten a hold of our lives, and we don't know that we can go on. 
but today we look to Jesus. Lord, you authored our faith. You called us out of darkness. Today we acknowledge you as the finisher of our faith. We ask you, O oh God, to take us beyond the place where we are. Call us from here to where you are going. Lord, your presence is the answer. So I ask you, Holy Spirit, to manifest the presence of Jesus Christ in this room. I ask you, O oh God, to begin to read these slips of impossibilities and just whisper in each one's ear, simply believe. Lord, we're asking for a mustard seed of faith today. Just enough to break through. Just enough to touch the hem of your garment. Just enough to sense your nearness. Just enough to hear your voice. Just enough to feel your touch. Just enough to know what to do, what to say, how to act. Oh God, come Holy Spirit, come. This all seems so big to us at times. But you're sufficient. You are sufficient. Paul's response, I get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father. Today I'd like to just invite you, if you have something on your list, this platform becomes like an altar. You too, like Abraham, like Jairus, like Paul, can come and you can get on your knees, you can get on your face before the Lord, before this magnificent Father who gives good gifts, who makes the impossible possible, who has the answer to every dilemma, and who rejoices to give to you. He knows you by name. You need to come and do business with the Lord as we dismiss today. We invite you to come up. If you need prayer, there'll be some folks up here to pray with you. So, Father, we just ask, oh God, that you move our hearts to do what you're asking us to do. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I want to say to someone in this room, it might go back a long way, but it still hurts you. And the Lord wants to touch you in that deeper place. He knows what happened to you. And he knows what it's done to your life. But he is your healing and he is your redeemer. And he'll draw you out of the pain that you've lived in far too long.